0: Hey, it's Dusty Otis. Welcome to the Redefined Church podcast. I'm so glad that you're taking part of your day to join us. I hope this message challenged you. I hope that it inspires you. But more importantly, I hope that it helps you grow spiritually. If you want to be a part of what we're doing here at Redefined Church, you can always support us by going to liveredefined.com forward slash give. I hope you enjoy today's message. So let's jump into Hope You Know. If you're just joining us, thanks so much for being here. If you know of somebody that needs to hear this message, make sure you share it, share it with them. Right now, as we get started today, I want uh, you to identify where your hope is right now. If you had to like throw a stake in it, where would you say your hope is right now? If you don't know, if you've never identified hope, that's okay, go with what you have. Go with what you have. And so use what you have to identify where your heart is in for fun. Let's rate our current hope on a scale of one to five. One to five. Five being amazing. You have more hope than like the Pope, right? That's five. And one would be, eh. And we'll just call it that. Many of you might be asking, hope in what? Hope in what? Hope in our current reality, politics. Hope in my marriage. Hope in my career. Hope in my kids. Well, I have four kids. So which one are you talking about? Hope in my kids' education, right? Um, Hope in your education. You might be a student yourself. Hope in your life. Hope and your purpose. Where is your hope? And I want you to decide. I want you to decide. It can be general, but it has to be personal. It has to be personal. I want you to identify that number, and I want you to write it down, circle it, something. At least remember it. If you write it down, it's going to be better. And now that you've identified that, let's open our Bibles to the book of Job. If you have your Bible, go to the book of Job. Depending on how you ranked your hope, you might be thinking, dang, we're starting Job? Like, shh. It ain't, it ain't that bad, right? <laughs> ain't that bad. And Job, one of Job's friends, um, gives us a speech on really everything that's wrong in the world right now. It, it translates perfectly today. And in this one phrase, Bildad really speaks to everything that's going on right now. Job 8, and this is the Living Bible, and it says 11 through 13, but it's really, it's really 11. It says, those who forget God have no hope. Those who forget God have no hope. That's our biggest point today, which means it gets a lot better from Job. It gets a lot better from here. But the truth is we see this playing out in every part of our world, in every part of society, in our culture today. And the further that we get away from God, the less hope that we have. The further we get away from God, the less hope we have. Good news. The opposite is true. The closer you get to God, the more hope you'll have in your life. The closer you get to God, the more hope you'll have. And this is why we're talking about the four H's of Christmas. To get closer to God so you can have more hope in your life. To get closer to God so you can have more hope in your life. Because the most... Hopeful people on our planet are those who live closest to God. And the most hopeless people in the world are those who feel the farthest from God. That's truth. This is why living in a real relationship with God changes everything in your life. It brings hope and it brings more hope, but it brings the right hope in your life. Reality is, though, and and you've probably noticed this, that a lot of people put their hope in other things, right? They put their hope in people, in places, in profits, right, in positions. A lot of people put their hope in the president. A lot of people put their hope in the president. And I want to remind you today that our hope doesn't lie in the man that we put in office it lies in the man that we put on the cross our hope does not lie within the man that gets put in the office our hope lies within the man we put on the cross the person in the White House is, is a lot of things but he's not a savior he's not a savior and what's interesting is people who are far from God who don't have a higher power in God, they tend to make government their higher power. And they do this because they can't think of anything greater to change the problems in the world than government, right? And you'd say, well, I don't know about that. Here's where in the Bible, we see this in Luke chapter 20. I'm reading through the book of Luke this month with several of you who are watching right now. And today in Luke chapter 20, verse 19 and 20, uh, it just happens to fit today. It's got to be the Spirit of God. Then the scribes and the chief priests looked for a way to get their hands on him that very hour because they knew he, Jesus, had told this parable against them. And they feared the people. Verse 20, they watched closely and sent spies who pretended to be righteous so they could catch him in what he said and hand him over to the governor's rule and authority. Why did they desire to hand him over to the power of the authority of the governor? They had no hope. Zero belief. No faith. That's why. But, 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 we believers actually have something greater than government to believe in. We have God who sent his son Jesus. It's the old term. It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know. And we know somebody pretty good, amen? And so remember, those who forget God have no hope. I want you to think about this. When you think about people not hoping in God and making government their ultimate power, their authority, what happens when a culture forgets government? Sorry. <laughs> what happens when a culture forgets God and leans on government? What happens when we forget God? And this is a list from a 2016 note that I had in my phone. And here's what it says. It says, when people forget God, when people forget God, wealth is idolized. Truth is minimized. Life is trivialized. (sighs) Come on. Abortion is legalized. TV is vulgarized. You can say whatever you want on TV today. Everything is sexualized. Everything. Commercials. Can't even watch perfume commercials anymore. Divorce is rationalized. Sports are scandalized. Education is secularized. Free markets are monopolized. Politics are polarized. Morals and ethics are liberalized. Courts are paralyzed. Manners are uncivilized. Christians are demonized. And in all this, our conscience has been desensitized. So then God is marginalized. It's no wonder people don't have hope anymore. If you took a poll today and ask um, people, the people of America, do you believe America is headed in the right direction? The response would be No. And that response wouldn't just be no because it's this year. It was like that in 2016. Same poll. It's like that in 2012. It was like that in 2008. It was like that in 2004. For the last 20 plus years, we have not believed that America is headed in the right way. Why? 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 Those who forget God have no hope. No hope. So after three weeks of honor, honesty, and holiness, we should be able to define hope today. And that's our goal today. That's our goal. We need to realize that, one, God is the ultimate authority in our life. He is who we put our hope in, not a government, a president, a place, a prophet, a priority, a person, but God, right? But God. And so then, before we go further, I want to reference 1 Corinthians 1313 if you're taking notes it says this now these three remain this is the chapter on love now these three remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love but the greatest of these is love we know faith we know love and we assume hope we assume hope and i'm generally speaking we all know what assume does right Hope defined is this, an expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. I like that. An expectation for a certain thing to happen. Ooh, that's pretty solid. I like that. But the dictionary is not the book that we go to for truth, right? We're right here. And although the, the, the dictionary's definition of hope is really, really good, it's really good. Reality of, of that definition is a lot of people think they know what hope is. And even though I just defined it, and and I could probably get a lot of people to jump on board with that definition, a lot of people think what hope is, is really just wishing. They're really just wishing. And we're going to jump into this today because of this. Hope, should have made this a bullet point. Hope is theological. It's not psychological. Hope is deeper. It's theological. It's rooted in truth. It's rooted in the gospel. So then you immediately know if your hope is rooted in truth or if it's just a wish. You know. You know from the get-go when you say it. Am I wishing it or is it rooted in truth? Right? So what is hope? What is hope? If you're a note taker, you need to get ready your screenshot and whatever you're doing. I'm excited about what this is today. Before we can define what hope is, it's easier to define what it is not. And that's going to help us get there. It's going to help us get there. And so then hope is not optimism. That's the first thing. Hope is not optimism. Hope and optimism are two totally different things. They are not the same. A lot of people think they are, right? Hope is theological. Optimism is psychological. So then optimism is great. I love optimism. I would say I am an optimist. Heather, my wife, is way more optimistic than me that we were having a conversation and and we were kind of in one of those lulls, the lulls of life. And I was like, well, is it it optimism? And she's like, no, it's it's not optimism. And and Heather's watching now. It's hope. It's hope. What we were talking about the other day is hope. And I meant to tell you this last night, but I forgot. So it's hope. I love optimism. It's great. I love, I love those people who get up and self-talk themselves in the morning, they get in front of the mirror. I mean, I'm a good person, things are gonna happen to me today. I can feel it, I can feel it, and that's great, and that's great, until somebody <laughs> Mike Tyson always says everything's going great until somebody punched you in the face, right? Until something goes wrong, until somebody cuts you off, and that just ruined my my self-talk session, right? You need some theology. In your self-talk, you need some hope. You need some hope in that self-talk. And so what optimism is, if you get down to it, optimism is just talking yourself into it. You're just talking yourself into it. It's telling yourself that things are going to be okay, even when they aren't. It's going to be all right. Just hang in there, tiger. It's going to be all right, right? And what you need to know is optimism is not always in touch with reality. We like to think that it is, but it's not. Optimism is not always in touch with reality. Optimism, a lot of times, is trying to convince yourself that something is true even when you know that it's not true. So when you're being optimistic, you have to repeat it in your head over and over and over, right? I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And you get it in your head, and that's where it lives, in your head. Why? Because it's psychological. That's what it is. I can sit down with this cup of coffee right here. And hope that it's sweet tea. Be optimistic and say, man, there's some sweet tea in there, right? And I can bring all the optimism in the world to this cup, but it does not change what's inside. See. Still coffee. Cinnabon creamer today, by the way. Thanks. Thanks, Heather. She's amazing. What am I trying to say? What am I trying to say as we define what hope is not? It's this. All of the optimism in the world won't change a thing. Optimism alone will not change the world. Optimism all by itself will not change the world. It won't change you. And really, really, that kind of stinks, right? It could be a bummer for some of us because it makes really what what we're here to do, it makes it a little bit harder, right? I haven't met many optimists (laughs) anyway. And so optimism alone will not change the world. And what you need to know today is this, optimism only works on the things that you can control. Optimism will only ever work on the things you can control. Because reality is this, I can be optimistic for all the things that I want you to do for the rest of your life. But that doesn't mean you're going to do a single one of them. Optimistic. But that doesn't mean action happens, right? You can be optimistic about what you want your husband or your wife to do, right? How does that work for you? <laughs> You can be optimistic about what you, kid, what you want your kids to do for you. But every night you go to bed, how do the dishes in the sink look? Is the dishwasher empty? Is the laundry folded? You know, they put their stuff up. The room's clean. You can be optimistic all day long. I Man, I sure hope, I sure hope, you know, the glass is half full. I sure hope they get it in gear. I sure hope he does this, right? And your optimism doesn't change anything that they do. Husband wife kids it doesn't change anything they do because it only works on stuff that you can actually control. Optimism says it's not as bad as you think. Optimism says it's not as bad as you think. Optimism also says could be worse. Could be worse, right? Optimism says it's not as bad as you think. That's optimism. Hope says it's bad. It's bad. Matter of fact, I don't know if it's been this bad before. It's probably worse. It's as worse as I've ever seen. But I still believe. Hope says it's bad. Dot, dot, dot. But I still believe. That's hope. That's hope. You see the difference there? That's not that bad. What does that, what does that do? Nothing. Hope says it's bad, but I believe that's hope. And what stinks is uh, optimism often denies reality. It's not that bad. Oh, it's not that bad. It's bad. It's bad. You know it's bad when you get the diagnosis, right? You got the bad news. You get the report. It's bad. It's not that bad, brother. Wait, We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. That's not hope. That's trying to talk yourself into something that's not true. When it's bad, it's bad. You call a spade a spade, right? And so then, that's not hope. Matter of fact, that's false hope. And false hope keeps you empty. False hope keeps you empty. Now, let's move on to hope. The Bible tells us there are three types of hope. Two of them are found in Proverbs. We're not going to spend a bunch of time on them. There are three types of hope. If you are taking notes, it is getting good. Three types of hope. Wishful hope, expectant hope, certain hope. Remember, we started talking about certain hope with David in Psalms 27. So you know where we're going. You know where we're going. So let me encourage you to do this one more time, because right now we're in the meat. We're in the thick of it. We're in the meat and potatoes. Lean in. Get on the edge of your seat. Get excited for what God is about to give to you. He's going to give you something today. Let's go. Okay? Wishful hope is what most people mean when they use the word hope. Start with number one, wishful hope. Wishful hope is what most people mean when they use the word hope. It's wishful. Example, you're running home uh, late for work. You're not running home. Okay? Okay? Maybe you are, but a lot of people drive. You're running late, coming home from work for the fourth time this week. Dinner's been on the table for, who knows, 15 minutes. It doesn't matter how long it's been on the table. You pull in the drive and you say, man, I sure hope my wife isn't upset. That's wishful hope. Another example, you are late to work you're driving to work in the morning, you are late. Here's how late you are. You're driving with your knee, okay? You've got the visor down, and you've got the eyelash up, and you're, and you're texting on your phone. You're like, hey, I'm running late, right? And you exit 75, and you say, man, show up this light turns green. <laughs> Gotta go. Wishful thinking. That's all wishful thinking. And sad but true, nothing that you hope like that will ever change your life. Nothing you hope for like that will ever change your life. And I hope they're not upset with me. And I hope this light turns green. And what's silly is sometimes, I've been in this seat before too, sometimes when the light turns green, you're like, oh, man, God is, God is shining on me today, right? And so then that's wishful hope. It's not true. It's not true. And hope like that will never change anything, Okay. Wishful hope is worthless. It's false hope. It's very similar to optimism. Okay? Wishful hope is buying a lotto ticket and saying, this is the one. This is the one. My golly. When the reality is, it's not the one. It's wishful. The statistics say you're more likely to get struck by lightning than you are to win the lottery. And some of you guys are saying, so you're saying there's a chance. (laughs) So you're saying I have a chance. No, no, you're more likely, the big jackpot, you're more likely to get chosen to go on a trip to the moon than you are to win the lottery. It's wishful hope. It doesn't work. Wishful hope is not the kind of hope that you can build a life on. You can't because it's a roller coaster, because every now and again, the, di- the dice roll right, and something falls in your favor, and you think that that's the hope you need, so you keep hoping like that. You keep wishing like that, and wishful hope is a waste. Second kind of hope is expected hope. Expect hope. This is a little bit stronger, okay? There's actually some basis in reality in expected hope, And it's way better than simply wishing to be expectant is way better than just wishing. Right. Expectant hope is going out. OK, and plant some seeds, doing your deal, watering, right, doing all the stuff and coming in and saying, man, I sure hope those tomato plants sprout. That's expectant hope. There's a reason to have an expectation for them to sprout. It's because you did something. You can expect that it'll bring a result because you actually did something, right? It's not wishful thinking, which is walking in the house, looking out at what used to be a garden say, man, I hope some tomato plants come up this year. <laughs> I mean, i have seed see like six years ago. I haven't seen them in five seasons, but maybe... Maybe something takes your sure hope some tomatoes pop up out there. And what's even more silly is hoping tomato pants would pop up when you didn't plant any seed in the first place. That's wishful and it's worthless. Here's expectant. When you go to the doctor, here's an example of expecting expectant hope. You go to the doctor and, you know, you're going to the doctor, so you have a pretty good reason to go to the doctor. And sometimes you have a great need when you go to the doctor. There's always an expectation when you go to the doctor's office but sadly real sad and sometimes frustrating a lot of the times you go to the doctor after you sit down and you wait and you ask how much longer is it going to be i'm the only one in this waiting room i mean this is a smoke break what are we doing back there right we've all been there okay we've all been there how much longer my appointment was at at 2 30 right what's 3 15 you know i got life outside of here so how long And you go in, you're expecting, you're expecting. And you go in, finally get to the doctor and he checks you out or she checks you out. And what does she say? You're fine. It's nothing. This is normal. That goiter on the side of your face, right? It's normal. No, she didn't say that. Right. But so many times you go to the doctor. So many times you go to the doctor and what do they say? Oh, you're fine. Yeah, everything's breathe, breathe, breathe. Right. Check. Look in here, look in here. Oh yeah, you're fine. Or, yeah, take uh, take some Advil when you get home. And uh, if it doesn't get any better, call me in a week so we can take another one of your deductibles. Okay? Right? You're fine. It's normal. And even though you were expectant when you went in, man, we're going to get this problem resolved today. I'm sick of feeling like this. I'm sick of feeling this. Right? Whatever it is. You were expectant. But just because you were expectant doesn't always mean that you get what you went for. Doesn't mean you get the results that you expected. Now, you called... You scheduled, which is frustrating, right? You drove, you sat, you waited, and you expected. And even though you were expecting, expecting is not a sure thing. It's great to have expectation, right? It's not a sure thing. There was no guarantee. And so then you feel like, once again, I wasted my time. I knew I shouldn't have came. I should have waited it out, Right? And on your way out the door, you think a few other thoughts and you say a few other things. Because we've all been there, right? This is why the Bible talks about a third kind of hope. This kind of hope is the kind of hope that you build your life on. You build your life on. This hope is an anchor to your soul. It's certain hope. Certain hope like we said at the start, hope that you know. Certain hope is a hope that you know, that you know, that you know. This is what the Bible talks when it talks about being a person of hope. Not wishing, not expecting, but knowing for certain that you will have what you hope for. Knowing for certain that you'll have what you hope for. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, 1, that faith is the assurance or certainty of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Faith and hope go together. Faith and hope go together. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the faith, hope, and love, the grace of these is love. The other two are faith and hope. Remember, we assume hope, faith and hope go together. You cannot have faith without hope. So I have to include these two together because most people blaze right past this. You cannot have faith without hope. You must have hope in order to have faith because if there's nothing to hope for, there's nothing to believe for. Simply put, If you don't have the hope of heaven, then you don't need to believe in heaven. Hope. Faith and hope go together. You cannot have faith without hope. Certain hope is Christian hope. It's the hope that we believe. This is the hope that we live in. This is the hope that we build our life on. Let's look at Hebrews 6.19. We looked at this two weeks ago. And we can see what certain hope is. It says, this certain hope of being saved is strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, connecting us with God himself behind the sacred curtains of heaven. If you've been with me for the last four weeks, you can see the reason for the four H's. It's kind of, it should all be coming together. You can see the series coming together. Understanding each H has a huge, huge part to play in our certain hope in your certain hope, think about your life right now. When certainty is present, there is no doubt. When have you ever been certain, 100% certain of something and it wasn't? Never. Never. Now, if this has happened, you say, "No, I was certain this is going to happen. Here's the answer to that. If this has happened and you were one hundred percent certain and it didn't happen, then you were only wishful or expectant. You weren't certain. You weren't certain. because everything with certainty is a guarantee. Because with certain hope there is no doubt. there is no hesitation, there is no reservation. There is no what if in certain hope. I don't say, what if I don't get to heaven? Does this mean I don't get to go to heaven? What if I don't go to heaven? That thought never enters my mind ever as a believer. Why? Because my entrance to heaven, my acceptance to heaven, is certain. Bank. Done. Right? Certain hope is a guarantee. The Bible says this is the hope God wants you to build your life on. I'm in on that. So let's look at uh, what certain hope is. You see it in in Hebrews 6.19. There are three things you see in Hebrews 6.19. You can highlight these if you're a highlighter. Write them down. Circle them. It's up to you. But certain hope has three characteristics. They're all mentioned in Hebrews 6.19. Certain hope is strong. Strong. What's strong? You define it, but steady, durable, stable, stability, right? Unchanging. My kids, my kids know if they jump off the couch onto me, I'm stable. I'm sturdy. We're not going to fall over, right? Strong. Trustworthy. Number two, trustworthy. What's trustworthy mean? Dependable, reliable, reliable. It's trustworthy I mean, you bet your life on it. That's what it means. That's what the truth is. And it says number three, it's an anchor. An anchor that keeps me connected to God. Okay, now that it's all defined, why do we need hope? Dusty, why do I need hope? Here's why you need hope. because it's been said that you can go weeks without food. Some of us can go a lot longer than that, okay? That's a It might be a chubby joke. I don't know. Can't can't say. We're in church. We can go days without water. You can go minutes without air, but you cannot go five seconds without hope. You can't go five seconds without hope. You need hope to live. When you lose all hope, you lose all life. Die without hope. Hope is the anchor for your soul. An anchor does two things. If you remember last week, we talked one of these last week. It keeps the ship from drifting. Without hope, you drift. What do you mean? we drift? We drift from God. We drift from the people we love. We drift from our goals. We drift from our dream. You constantly drift when you are unanchored, when you have no hope. <sighs> two, it adds stability. It's the bigger, this is the bigger of the two. It's the highlight. It adds stability in a storm. You need stability. This is where hope comes in. Hope brings Stability. Remember, hope says, hope says it's bad, real bad, worse than it's ever been, but I still believe. Stability. Stability. Strong. Trustworthy, right? Without hope, you have no stability. Stability in your anchor depends a lot on the size and the weight of the anchor and the length of the rope or the chain, right? And reality is the bigger the ship, the bigger your anchor. And the bigger the anchor, the better you are in the storm. The greater your hope, the better you are in the storm. Even the smallest boats, even the smallest boats have bigger anchors than they really need. Why? Why? Stability in the wind, in the current, the waves. Because the reality is we're gonna have storms in life. We're gonna have storms in life. You're going to experience rogue winds and tidal waves. You're gonna find yourself in a mess, thunder, lightning, hail, right? You're gonna find yourself in a storm in every area of your life, morally, mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, relationally, and we almost every one of us can relate to one, if not all of those, right? And you might sit there and say, yeah, Dusty, but you don't know the storm I'm in. You don't know the storm I'm in. I want to tell you about Tim today. Tim was a member of our church in Oklahoma. Here's his picture right here. This is Tim. Tim went to our church, and he was living right. He was doing things the way that he was supposed to. Things were going really good in his life. So good, so good that he was on vacation with his family in Florida. And he had, he had been in and out of the doctor, and they were having a hard time diagnosing uh, where he was or what was happening. And so um, it wasn't like it was the best idea to go on vacation, but he did, and and they ended up having to come to come back home and and they immediately rushed him into ICU and when they rushed him into ICU he realized that there was a lot going on inside of his body and I went to see him when he came back from Florida in a hospital in our town and he wasn't there but just a couple of days and they transferred him to Oklahoma City which is a two-hour drive away it's fair to say it's it's not all the way two, but it's way more than one. And uh, and he spent 120 days in the hospital. And this guy's this guy's near and dear to me because he's my sister's, husband, my baby sister. It's uh, it's her husband's dad. So they've been coming to our church, and, and I had baptized his wife, Leslie. Leslie and Tim are watching today. I know you guys are, so thank you, and uh, make sure you tell us, tell us hello in the comment section. And what we realized is um, Tim's body was, was shutting down, and he needed a heart transplant. Tim needed a heart transplant, so he was transferred down to Oklahoma City, and, and we touched base on the phone. And his, his body was weak, and they had him hooked up to, to so many machines. They had him hooked up to so many machines. And and uh, I'll never forget, it was it was in October. It was in October. We have a picture that we're going to show you of, of him today. It was in October. Uh, it was 1130 at night uh, where we lived, and I got a phone call from Tim, and he said, hey, they found a heart. Um uh, which is a miracle of God because he was put on a list uh, to receive a heart transplant. And that normally takes, I mean, a year, if you have favor, you could, you could do it in six months if the stars aligned and they found a heart for Tim in eight days. And the, the reality the truth is his body wasn't going to make it one month, let alone six months or a year. And he had a great doctor who believed in him who saw the fight, who saw the hope, who saw the hope in his eyes, and she knew that he could fight, and she knew he wanted to fight, and he had several reasons to fight, but was all rooted in hope. And so he calls and he says, Hey, Dusty, I, uh, woo, they got a heart. Can you come? Can you come and pray right now? I said, yes. And I hopped in the car, I hopped in the car and I got to the hospital in Oklahoma City just before 2 a.m. And uh got caught up on all the details. This is pre-COVID, so we could all be in the room together. It was nice, it's where you want your family, right? And uh we all gathered around Tim's bread, Tim's bed, and we prayed together. And we stood in agreement with certain hope for the outcome that we believed that was rooted in this.
1: I didn't fit the part of being sick because my body was in such good condition. You know, nothing slowed me down. They're rushing me in on a gurney and I don't know what's going on. I'm thinking I'm going to a regular room, but they took me straight to ICU. They started hammering IVs after IVs, and there was five or six different machines hooked up to me. I thought, maybe it's my time. One day in 2015, you know, I woke up, I couldn't hardly breathe. I literally went and got a fan out of the shed, turned it on and and held it to my mouth, trying to get air to force down my lungs that is the scariest thing you'll ever go through because you're gasping for air. You, you don't understand what's going on. We'll come to find out, it was a double lung pneumonia. Both my lungs were filling up with fluid, and it was one that was very aggressive. They basically gave me every antibiotic known to man until they found one that would treat it. And that's what created... The downfall of the heart, the kidneys, and so on. And when the kidneys started failing, that's when the heart went into overdrive. We well, couldn't fix it. That was the beginning of the end for my heart. Nobody sees that coming. I mean, I was just, one day I'm out working in the yard, everything's hunky dory, and the next day I'm laying in an ICU bed. That was a pretty dark moment in my life. Why me? I'm doing my right thing, I'm, I'm doing the church, you know, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Why me? You just lay there and cry. At night, when it's quiet, and it's just you, and the machines that are beeping, and you see them wheeling them, people out with blankets over their heads, there is an eerie sense, because you know that could be you. I've got a wife and two kids and grandkids. I've got to walk my daughter down the aisle in June. She's getting married. But this is something you can't fix. You know, this is something you have to rely on God to fix. Isaiah 53, five, through his wounds I'm healed. And that's what we wrote on every board that they brought into us. They told us either A, we weren't gonna live or B, this is what we needed to do to succeed. And that's what kept me going because I knew he had already gone through it and he did it for me. In October of 2015, the doctors pulled my wife out into the hallway and they told her basically, the red blood cells were dying, the kidneys were dying, the organs were shutting down. We're running out of time. You know, we're basically down at the end we're gonna to have to find a heart or he's gonna die. Now we're fighting with, you know, thousands of people across the United States trying to figure out who gets the heart. So finding one quickly is really unheard of. My wife and I cried, you know, I mean, there was no control in it. You know, it was just a fact of, okay, I gotta say bye. You know, you're tired of fighting. With the exception of getting up and walking with a group of eight, I was in a bed for 120 days. I know where people say, you know, it's just time to go. I mean, I, I felt it. But we grabbed a hold of our bootstraps, we pulled them up tight. We looked at each other and we said, we're not done yet. Let's just see if we get a harder or not. We say a prayer together before she leaves, like we do every night. About 30 minutes later, the doctor, Dr. Van Kau, calls her on the phone. She goes, I need you back up in the room now. The doctor runs clear across the hospital. She walks in the room and she looked at us and she said, We found a heart. We all three started crying. You know, all you can do is ball and give thanks. Because without Him, I'm not sitting here talking to you. It doesn't happen like that. Normal circumstances are six months to a year. We're talking eight days from the day I got on the list. I got a heart. I got a second chance. You know, and that's where we're making the most of it now. Relying on God and relying on my faith is what got me to open up to people and start trying to bring them to Christ. That's what we did. Since the transplant or since this whole ordeal, my wife knows I love her. My son knows that I love him more than anything now. My daughter knows I love her. Every Sunday, we're all at church together. My son, his wife, his kids, my daughter, her fiance, we're all together. If I had to do it all over again to bring us all together, yeah, I'd do it.
0: Wouldn't you? This is why you need hope. Tim is an amazing example of why you need hope. because God made it possible for us to take hold of the hope set before us so we can be encouraged for 120 days. Tim was encouraged because this certain hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Here's a picture of Tim post-surgery. It's a shadow of himself. I think he got down. I think he was in the 80s. He was under 100 pounds, I know. He was a shadow. He was a shadow of himself. And he worked. Here's a couple pictures of uh, me and Tim at church as he was rehabbing and getting healthy again. And what's funny is before the heart transplant, he could not grow a beard to save his life. And after the heart transplant, he grew a full beard. And this is what Tim looks like today, uh, next to um, kind of a memento that was made for him by my sister to symbolize the day, the day that he got his new heart. This hope, Jesus... This hope, Jesus, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul, for your soul. The anchor for your soul, you know now, is not money. It's not notoriety. It's nothing physical. It's nothing psychological. The anchor for your soul is hope. And that's what it's always been. The stronger your hope, the stronger your anchor to God. I close with one final question. Where do you get this anchor for your soul? Where do you get this hope? Because if you know people like I know people, the reality is this. When a storm hits, they look to everywhere and everything else except to God for their anchor. They're not looking to hope because they've been dealing in the wrong kind of hope, wishful or expectant. When people are in deep pain, they're in despair, they're discouraged, they're depressed, they often look to the bottom of the bottle. If not that, they're looking at medicine or entertainment. They look to an affair. Maybe it's a vacation. Anything else, anything else, right? They're looking to anything else for hope except God. And they say, if I could get a job or if I could just sell my boat, right? Or if I could just get a raise, If I could just take some time off, if I could just move, man, I just really need to move. But the truth is, they're looking outside of themselves for something to anchor them. But God says no. God says all you need is hope. The same type of hope that Tim has walked out for you, continues to walk. By the way, Tim is doing amazing. He's back at work as a heart transplant patient. He's had several other health concerns and he continues to fight and move forward. And so those hand claps that you heard in the video were authentic from the first time we showed that. We couldn't get them out, but I didn't care because I knew you'd get the point. I knew you'd get the point of the video. What you need is hope, what you need is hope. Now, what is the difference? What is the difference between wishful hope, expectant hope, and certain hope? Hebrews 6, 19. This certain hope is being saved. Of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, connecting us with God himself behind the sacred curtains of the heavens, of heaven. Heaven, guarantee, hope, certain hope. How do you get that kind of Hope. Certain hope, here's the answer. Certain hope is based on God's word, not your wishes. Certain hope is based on God's word, not your wishes. You say, I wish, I want, optimistic hope. Here's what I hope, hope you know, hope that you know certain hope is not based on what you sense, it's based on what God said. Certain hope is not based on what you sense, it's based on what God said. Certain hope is not based on my emotions, it's based on what God has spoken And certain hope is not based on my imagination. It's based on God's obligation to follow through with what he said. Certain hope is rooted in the gospel. You find certain hope in God's word, not your wishes. In this book, God has given you over 7,000 promises. That are certain. When we put our hope in these promises, it gives us certainty in our hope. They fuel each other. But when we put our hope in our emotions, in our talent, in our friends, in our intelligence, when we put our hope in our circumstances, or we put our hope in anything else that's not truth. It's only wishful thinking, or at best, it's expected. But it's not certain. And what we need to understand is, with the 7,000 plus promises, God has an eternity to fulfill them. He doesn't work on a 24-hour clock like us. His time frame is different than ours. And more times when you feel delay, it's because there's development that needs to happen in your life. Because there's there's, there's something God needs you to see. He needs you to learn. He needs you to pick up. He needs you to face. He needs you to overcome. I don't know how God's clock works. I don't know how the eternal clock works. Here's what I know. I don't care. I trust it. I trust it. It's that simple. I know his timing is better than mine. I know that he knows more than I know. I know that he has a plan and a purpose for me. I know that he has called me. I know that I'm a son. I know that I'm connected. I'm certain of it. Hope. And this hope... This hope that we have is the reason for the season that we are in. Jesus makes certain hope possible. And that's why this time of year is so special. Nothing else but this certain hope. I'm going to leave you with Psalms 27, 13, and 14 out of the Passion Translation. Yet I totally trust you to rescue me one more time. strong, and trustworthy. Yet I totally trust you to rescue me one more time so that I can see once again how good you are while I'm still alive. Here's what I've learned though. Oh, Here's what I've learned through it all. Do not give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be connected, anchored, Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting. He will never disappoint you. Well, hey, thanks so much for listening to today's message. I hope that it challenged you and that you'll take steps this week to have a greater faith and to go deeper in your relationship with God. If you want to know more about what's happening here at Redefined Church, you can visit us online at liveRedefined.com. Follow us on social media at Redefine Church or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon.